Lights, camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. This week we are starting a whole new miniseries, and we'll be covering not just several movies, but a genre that has significant impact to the cinema in Asia and that of the West as well. We will be talking about the gangster film that come out of Asia. But first, as per usual, here's a short history lesson on gangster genre films in general. As the name suggests. Gangster films depict stories and characters who are involved in organized crime or gangs. The genre is known for glamorizing characters who operate outside the law to gain wealth and power, and because of that, the genre has its fair share of struggles with many governments and censoring bodies in history, most notably in the United States. But for the audience. Gangster films have long been proving to have a very unique attraction. Much like modern gangs, the gangster films had its beginning in America, and its roots in American culture and consciousness is firm from day one. See, everyone has heard of the term "the American Dream." The frame encapsulates the glowing lure of the land of opportunities. The idea that anyone who arrives on shore can achieve the highest degree of success if one just works hard, but of course, the cold hard reality could often be a stark contrast to the possibilities presented in that claim. And since the cinema very often serves as an escape for people, the gangster film genre allows people to channel their disappointment and dissatisfaction in real life. In the early 1930s, a number of highly popular gangster movies hit the big screen, and they blew the socks out of the audience at that time. One of the most famous films was called Little Caesar, and it was released in 1931. It tells the story of the rise of a man called Caesar, who goes from a small-time crook to standing at the top of the criminal world. Only to then be backstabbed and gunned down by other gangsters. For anyone who has actually watched a modern-day gangster film, this story of Little Caesar really isn't anything new or special. But let's keep in mind that the popular films in the 1930s were mostly romantic stories and musicals, films that shows stories that are positive and warm, with a sense of grandeur in their presentation. Those films often felt detached, and they sometimes represent the opposite of the harsh financial reality and the social instability that many were facing during the Great Depression. But when Little Caesar hit the big screen, it features a level of graphic violence that was pretty much unheard of at the time. What's even more riveting is that the main character is not a hero in the traditional sense. You know the tall, handsome, square-jawed type. Rather, he's a short immigrant who has been embittered by the hardship and unfair treatment that he has been subjected to during his life in America. The film represents the opposite side of the American dream. It asks, and to a certain extent, answers the question of 
What happens when a person decides to climb not a corporate ladder but the crime ladder to achieve the highest level of wealth and power in America? It also addresses a number of social issues that arguably lie at the roots of people's struggling of that day. These include the significant wealth gap, social inequality, the lack of opportunities, and a fundamental distrust of those in power and keeping the social order, namely the government and law enforcement agencies. The fact that a main character is an immigrant who is disappointed by reality makes him easily identifiable and relatable with many in the audience. And the fact that a movie points its finger directly to, instead of shying away from, these social issues, makes it all the more welcomed by the movie-going audience. The gangster film during its infancy stage was not just a shock to the audience; it is also a shot in the arm for the movie industry, accounting for as much as 10% of the total box office revenue of the entire industry on an annual basis at one point. And most importantly, when we look at it from the cultural perspective, the genre is a shock to the system. To well, the system. The genre's instant success and popularity among the public showed just how disenfranchised and dissatisfied people felt towards society and the government as a whole. The following decade saw the film industry in the U.S. wrestle with the government's censoring system. Since Hollywood studios saw the commercial potential of the gangster film, the industry began to explore the genre and push out more films that included a bigger variety of subject matters in an effort to attract more audience. Themes such as revenge, adventure, and romantic relationships made their way into the gangster films. But it was also in this era that the U.S. government began their crackdown on gangster films. Like we mentioned previously, the 1930s was a time of economic slump and considerable social instability, a time where lawless activities were at its height. The Congress introduced what was later referred to as the Hayes Code, which restricted the studios and filmmakers on how the gangster films can be made. The code, among many things, stipulates that the main gangsters in the film must end up being punished by law enforcement officials, and they cannot be triumphant or glamorized. In a rather extreme case, the FBI outright banned the production of any movie about John Dillinger, a famous criminal at the time, in fear of further glamorizing this character. The law eventually relaxed in the 1960s, and the gangster genre saw its second rise. It was during this period that new talents in the film industry broadened the genre by introducing more complex stories, characters, and themes that are much more varied than the traditional black and white confrontation between good and evil. For instance, in Bonnie and Clyde, two youthful, attractive characters go on a road trip and rob banks across America. They did so to escape their circumstances, one that presents little opportunity, and the film presents them in a way that makes them look like sympathetic heroes, and the police officers more so like villains, since they represent the oppressive system. In later gangster films such as Goodfellas and the Godfather trilogy, organized crimes are depicted with not just glamour, but an unprecedented level of detail. These films show the intricacy of the crime organizations in a way that was never seen before in cinema. 
No longer do we see petty criminals committing unlawful acts just out of hunger, societal rejection, or alienation. No, in these movies, criminal organizations operate like high-level businesses. The main characters in the gangs are presentable characters who often hold well-respected, lofted positions in their own community. Their crime syndicate is operated by lawyers, accountants, and other highly trained professionals, and the syndicate is often connected or backed by people with similar interests, such as businessmen and politicians. By this era, gangster films have gone from depicting only the visible side of crime and hardship in life to showing the complex underpinnings of organized crimes and how far-reaching and prevailing these organizations can be in our society. While America has certainly the most prominent gangster films, as far as modern cinema is concerned, it certainly is not the only country where the genre is alive and well. The genre is a major box office attraction and government eyesore in arguably most countries and cultures. Everywhere there are unlawful activities, there are gangs, and there are gangster films. And since gangster films often reveal and reflect on local culture, the films from different parts of the world are dramatically different as well. In Japan, for example, where organized crimes have a very long history, reaching all the way back to the samurai era, the code of honor and the price one pays when breaking that code is frequently presented in their gangster films. In France, where there is a long tradition of art house movies, their gangster films are known for focusing not on the characters' external behaviors, but rather on their internal thoughts and feelings. We can say that in a way, gangster films can be considered character studies or cultural critique of the individual cultures and environments in which they are based. And with that, we shift our eyes to Hong Kong. It is an autonomous region of China that was formerly colonized by the Brits. As a result, the area has a rather unique mix of cultural and social structure. Towards the end of the 1990s, the British colonization was about to come to an end, and Hong Kong was about to return to China. It was also during this period that the region underwent not just political shifts, but changes in all aspects of society as well. Now, the historical background of the area seems like it's more suited for political drama than for gangster films, but when we look closely at the cultural and economic impact of the shift, it becomes clearer that the gangster films are the perfect vessel for reflecting various problems, including social instability, class segregation, youth delinquency, etc. In the following weeks, we'll be looking at some of the most well-known gangster film series to ever come out of Asia, and we'll start with Hong Kong. The first one is called Young and Dangerous. It depicts the life trajectory of a group of juvenile delinquents as they find themselves involving deeper and deeper in gang activities. The second one is the Infernal Affair series. It is one of the highest regarded gangster film series in the 21st century, and its cultural impact has reached far beyond the borders of China. Then, we'll move on to looking at films produced in Japan, South Korea, and other parts of Asia. We'll talk about the films, and we'll also explore the societal aspects that the films portray, 
as well as how these aspects changed over time. This is going to be a long and ambitious mini-series because, to me, the gangster film genre is one of the most enigmatic film genres out there. It is equal part charming and misunderstood, so starting next week, we'll dive into that world, and I hope you enjoy the ride. I'm Jake Chen, and thank you for listening to Lights, Camera, Asia. Asia.